The following are words of Hassan Kwame Jeffries in the TEDx talk titled, Why We Must Confront the Painful Parts of U.S. History, which he presented in February 2020. So what we must do is we must disrupt the continuum of hard history. And we can do this by seeking truth, by confronting hard history directly, by magnifying hard history for all the world to see. We can do this by speaking truth. Teachers teaching hard history to their students. To do anything else is to commit educational malpractice. And parents have to speak truth to their children so that they understand where we've come from as a nation. And finally, we must all act on truth, individually and collectively, publicly and privately, in small ways and in large ways. We must do the things that will bend the arc of the moral universe towards justice. To do nothing is to be complicit in inequality. History reminds us that we as a nation stand on the shoulders of political giants like James Madison. But hard history reminds us that we as a nation also stand on the shoulders of enslaved African-American children. Little black boys and little black girls who with their bare hands made the bricks that serve as the foundation for this nation. And if we're serious about creating a fair and just society, then we would do well to remember that. And we would do well to remember them. And we thought these words were important because they highlight the significance of speaking truth, even when it's hard. But they also give a nod to the future of our country in a way that gives them access to our shoulders. And so we wanted to use this piece to sort of set the atmosphere for the context of this episode. And with that, fade us up. All right. Well, welcome everyone to our first official episode of the podcast where we're going to be talking about a lot of the amazing things that Pierce has got going on. If you listened to last week's episode, you'll know from the um, the outro that Joey introduced a couple of things that we're going to be talking about. So we're really going to go over some events that we had back in February to celebrate Black History Month. Um, and some of the support structures that we've got going on and that we're continuing to build. So we've got two great guys here, Joey and Tony. They've been involved in a lot of these events as well, and I'm going to learn from them too. So, Joey, Tony, what are we starting off with? Yeah, I appreciate that, Nikki. Um, and yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for this episode um, along with my brother Tony because this is something... Um, that we're very passionate about because it's our lives. It deals with our our well-being um, for us both being young Black males um, who have navigated the educational system as students and now as uh, staff members as well. We just, we really realize the need um, for that support, you know, especially for um, our Black and Brown male students. And so that's where we've had a lot of opportunities here at Pierce to really pursue that passion and, you know, be there for our students. And so um, that's what I'm excited for to talk more about that in, in this episode oh, yeah. uh, with Tony. 
And and really to have a conversation about this work is almost like a playground, right? Where we just that's that's kind of the energy that I'm that I'm bringing to it, you know. So in terms of um, Black History Month, there's so much to, that we could cover, but the first thing that jumps out to me as far as like impact as it relates to peers is the the Student Empowerment Summit. And so, Joey, I know you had a hand in uh, the development of that summit. I wanted I wanted to create some space for you to kind of sound off on what it was like to work with, um, you know, our new EDI Cares team, um, everything that went into the summit, impact, those types of things. Yeah, no, it, it was uh, an amazing event um, and always blessed to work with our EDI Cares team, um, who is continuing to grow each and every day, because it's still something so new. This concept of equity, diversity, and inclusion itself isn't new, but at an institutional level, it is still fairly new, you know? And so um, shout out to Charlie and Don and the whole EDI CARES team, um, because they were pivotal in a lot of the events that went on in February, including um, the Students of Color Empowerment Summit, um, where I had the pleasure of being the keynote of and uh, my first of any kind. It was my first time ever being a keynote. So I felt kind of VIP, what was that, you know, that like, what was that? oh, man, like I, you know, like, I don't know. You you, you remember the I'm a big wrestling fan. So you remember Stone Cold and The Rock when they just have the smoke blazing everything out and they just come out and have their whole theme music. Like, that's how it felt like being a <laughs> keynote. Like you just. You, I don't know, man. It was such an amazing feeling to just be there and and to be able to talk to the, how was that? As an audience member, that that's how I received you too. Like that's how you came on. Oh, okay. See, man, and I don't, I don't get that lens. Like it wasn't, it wasn't recorded or anything. So I didn't even get to like critique how horrible or how awesome I was at all or not. I got great feedback though. So, you know, they, thanks, thankfully, you know, I got- so- we're talking that. to a celebrity right now. That's that's basically Man, what you're saying. I, I'm not saying all of that. I'm just I'm just saying. I'll say no. it. <laughs> no, I'll say it too. I, I I think that's what it is. I appreciate y'all, man. Y'all y'all make me feel loved for real. No, but and that that's that's all I was really. That was my message in the keynote was really just empowering these students, letting them know that they're loved, that they're seen, um, and that they have people here at Pierce that see them as well and support them and want to see them successful. Um, but all a lot of that success uh, starts with them first and being able to look themselves in the mirror and love what they see in the mirror and, and be able to give themselves that pep talk that's needed, you know, each and every day. And for our students of color, that pep talk is crucial um, because we're beat over the head um, you know, so many times, you know, to almost to say it in a literal sense, right? We're beat over the head in so many ways through media and whatnot. And this portrayal of, you know, who we are as, you know, for me, as as an African-American navigating in this world and, you know, seeing the, the power structures being rocked because it was built to keep me from you know, achieving my dreams. And, you know, it doesn't look like that for everyone, especially, you know, our, our counterparts, our white counterparts or whoever, you know, that, that looks different, that struggle looks different. And so being able to create these spaces um, for these students who normally don't 
get to be seen at the forefronts, to be able to do that. It, it's an amazing um, concept. It's an amazing experience to be a part of. Absolutely, Joey. And speaking of EDI Cares and Coach Reese, we actually had the honor of interviewing her for this podcast episode. So we're going to bring that beautiful content in right now for our listeners. All right. So we are live and we have the privilege, the blessing uh, to have uh, on the show uh, one of Pierce College's own uh, EDI Cares superstar, uh, Reese, Coach Reese. Uh, welcome to the show. Um, give you an opportunity to just uh, tell the folks a little bit about yourself and what you've been getting into. Awesome. Thank you so much uh, for having me. I'm super excited to be here and to chop it up with you guys today. So let's get it. Um, man, like Tony said, uh, my name is Reese. My full name is Reese Wilson. Um, but I go by Reese just because growing up, it was always too hard for a lot of people to say Arisa. Um, but the cool story behind my name is it, it comes from my dad. His name's Reese. And if you've ever seen us together or a picture, we look exactly like and have the same name. So, um, so that's kind of fun. So little Reese, big Reese, it's kind of like a, a play on words. So, um, but I like to go by coach Reese simply because, um, that's just, it's who I am. That's how a lot of people know me. And I'm a coach through and through. I was born to be a coach and not just for the sport of basketball, but just for life. And so it kind of stuck. Um, and I also have Charlie to thank, um, our VP Charlie for allowing me to still have that, um, a positive label, um, and to have a leader within this realm, knowing that I stepped down from, from being the, the head women's basketball coach that allowed me to still be a coach within EDI cares department really empowered me, um, to still see myself as a coach. So, that is, that's me. That's who I am. And um, that's what you can call me in the streets. <laughs> that's what's up. So now you're going to have people call you Coach Reese that you've never met before because they've heard this podcast and they're going to see you out on campus. Yes. And I've had students, students do it too. Um, I've, I've had students reach out and say, Coach Reese, um, I saw you at an event. I heard you do this. And I love the fact because everybody needs a coach, right? And mm. I think sports and student athletes and, and basketball specifically really does reflect life. And it gives off the energy that you can't really find in many other places. So I've had students who don't play sports at all literally tell me that they literally tell people they have a coach. Like I'm their coach and they see me holding them accountable and helping them get better, motivating them. Um, and so for me, it's like, yeah, that's who I am. My role is the retention manager, but it's really a coach for students because that's right. what a coach is, is, a leader, a teacher, accountability um, partner, a friend, um, all those things. So it's it's awesome to see students who are like, I've never played sports, but I really see you as my coach. And I love that. So I'm all for it. Yeah. So so can you talk about, uh, you know, you start talking about the transferability of the concept of being a coach. Um, and you, you were doing that at Pierce College. Um, can you talk a little bit about your role at Pierce now? Are you still coaching? Um, are you finding alternate ways to do that type of work? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually, uh, this is my fifth or sixth year at Pierce. I'm not sure. Um, but I've been within the community college realm uh, in some way, shape or form with it for the last about 13 years. Um, I ended up going to Highline Community College right out of high school. Funny enough, I was recruited to Pierce um, and the coach tried to sell me on how amazing the gym was. Uh, which it was, and it was brand new back then. Um, it still looks brand new. So shout out to, to Doug Carlson and, and Duncan. They do a great job um, with keeping it looking brand new. But the team wasn't very good. And I just wasn't excited about playing for a team that wasn't very good. And I ended up going to Highline. 
And that was honestly one of the best things that's ever happened to me. But I also fell in love with community college basketball during that time. Mm. Um, I wasn't prepared to be a student athlete. And this is going to get back to your question. Um, and just every the reason why I'm passionate about the things that I am is because I wasn't prepared to be a collegiate student athlete. Nobody trained me in that way to excel at the college level, even the community college level, which again is why I, I go so hard for our students because I think there's a lack of training, um, especially for students who look like me. What does it mean to have the proper you know, time management? You know, What does it look like to manage my time at this level, to eat, to sleep, to make sure I'm getting enough water, to make sure I'm um, getting my homework done and to just breathe and be a human? And so that was something that I struggled with when I was 18 years old. Um, I was about uh, two weeks away from failing out and never and us never having this conversation because who knows what would have happened if I would have failed out. I'm not sure. Um, right. You know, so I had um, a great coach who I'm also really good friends with to this day to say, hey, you know, you are this close to failing out. And if you don't get it together, you won't be able to play um, and you just won't be able to play anymore. And that's the first time I've ever had basketball threatened being taken away from me. And so once that hit for me, I immediately changed my entire life around. Um, literally was like, I need to train myself on how to be a collegiate student athlete because it was it had never been taught before. And I think that sometimes even coaches may or may not know how to do that. Teachers may or may not know how to really train their student athletes, how to be successful at this level. Right. Um, so fast forward, obviously I didn't fill out, thank God. Um, I ended up changing around and really was in the tutoring center all night, was in the writing center all night, found the library, started doing all these things that, you know, students do, but then also started really working that much harder, um, on the hardwood as well. And then fast forward, um, I came back to the NWACS, um, which is the Northwest, um, athletic association that community colleges are in that Pierce is in. And I started coaching at my alma mater, which was Highline. And then um, after three years there, something on my heart, I just knew it. I knew that I was going to be coaching at Pierce someday. I don't know what drew me to it. Uh, my mom went to Pierce. My dad graduated from Pierce. Um, I have a late sister who went to Pierce. Um, so I knew that I wanted to be at Pierce because the gym was so dope. I didn't know nothing else about it. Um, and I knew I didn't want to take over the head job at Highline. And so um once the job opened up at Pierce, I applied immediately and prayed on it and prayed on it. And so this was, I was 25 years old and I became, um, I want to say the first black woman head coach at Pierce. And I was the only one. Um, Snaps. Right. So I was the only woman coach. Um, and then for a couple of times out of my career, I was the one of two, sometimes maybe one of three. Um, only black women head coaches out of seven states um, on the West Coast, and that's at all six levels. So that's NCAA one through three, um, NAIA one and two, and community colleges from top to bottom. And so uh, that experience, so from going from being a student athlete who wasn't trained how to be a collegiate student athlete to being the coach um, that was the one of one, my passion for students at this level just started to grow um, that much more. And, um, so once, once I started doing that and really started seeing the experiences that students were having, and unfortunately I wasn't on campus full time either until last year. Mm -hmm. And which really is unfortunate for coaches when you're, you're not able to really coach full time, but this is what you, your heart beats, beats for, you want to be here full time. And so, um, I ended up starting a, uh, doctoral program. 
um, a couple years ago. And if anybody knows anything about a doctoral program, it really takes a whole lot out of you. And so um, in 2016, I know I'm kind of bouncing around, but trying to connect the dots here. Um, in 2016, um, a couple months after I got the position, my mother ended up passing away suddenly. Um, and that was, you know, really unfortunate. So here I am, 26, um, got my first head job halfway through season and my best friend passes away. Um, and now I'm trying to figure out how do I work a full-time job? I've been in service with working with students, at-risk students, students who are at-risk of failing um, out of just life in general for my entire professional career doing that, being a head coach and like, how do I heal? That was something, that right. was a question that I didn't really right. know how to answer, you know, at that point in my form of healing was working harder. So to go backwards, when I learned that I was almost going to fell out, I got addicted to working hard and that became right. my form of grieving with anything in life. And so I started just finding different things that I can succeed at because I got addicted to, you know, kind of that high. Um, the success, you know, it's interesting too, because a couple of things that you said resonated with me, um, with, uh, you know, the idea of we've been taught at growing up this, you know, how are you successful? How do you, if we ask the question, how do you get successful? The answer that we oftentimes get is you work hard. And what you had said earlier was basically that there is, there's some specific action steps, action items that are practical, that you, the skill sets that you have to have in order to, you know, actualize and materialize the concept of working hard. The idea of just working hard isn't going to get you there. There are some things that you have got to actually put in place. Um, and so I think that those things go hand in hand. And I appreciate that you recognize that. And those are the types of things that you try to instill um, in the work that you're doing here. Absolutely. But but to that point, um, it was one sided. Right. It's just work hard. There was never anything else. So I trained myself to work hard. I saw the fruits of working hard. My mind was blown. Uh, if I worked hard in the classroom, I graduated with my master's, the 4.0, when just three, four years prior, I almost filled out. Right. So I saw the change of that. I became an academic All-American when two years prior, I almost fell out. I, or I hit the dean's list every single year. This was stuff that high school and my first year of college, I didn't even think I didn't even know it was possible. Nobody even talked to me about these things, I, whether it was like they thought I wasn't capable or what the case may be is. But nobody right. believed in me out really outside of my right. parents. And so I didn't have a coach who was holding me to that higher standard in high school, which is why I went to college underdeveloped as a student, right? And so once I saw the fruits of my own labor, that's where that addiction came in. But it came in in balance because then nobody talked to me about rest, right? So that's where I mean the imbalance piece of it. I only knew in order for me to get and go and grow, I just had to work hard and it happened. And I you know, accumulated a lot of different things um, and started playing professional basketball before I started coaching and all these amazing things, but I didn't address rest. I didn't address healing. So when I was um, 20, 21 away at college, I got a phone call that my little sister was murdered. And what did I do? The very next day, I went to school. I went to practice. I played that. I played in a game that week. That's all I've ever known. Right. And so I think when we get to why I've been so passionate, that was trauma response. right. That's, that's all I knew was that was my trauma response. That was my healing response. That's how I grieved was get back after it because I don't have to think about 
whatever the case may be, right? Whatever it is that I'm mm-hmm. going through. And I know that if I can perform, I can succeed, I can work hard, that makes me feel good. I can get the accolades. I don't have to address everything else. So fast forward a couple years later, when my mom passes, I do the same thing. I go out and get my real estate license. I start becoming a real estate investor. I start a doctorate program. I start doing all these different things. So then last year I'm sitting here like, oh my gosh, I can't breathe. Like I'm working a full-time job now. And then what's now known as the EDI cares department before I was just the trio retention manager. Cause I thought if I was here now would be much easier but I was spending 18 hours, 16, 18 hours at Pierce. It's going there at 4 a.m. to work out because I got to work out too because I'm a coach. And then after I did that, then I would start um, doing my, my homework for my dissertation. After that, I would clock in at work. Then I'm working from eight to five. Right after that, I'm sprinting to the gym, having practice from five to seven, having a coaches meeting from seven to eight. And then I'm doing more homework from eight to 10, getting back home to do it all over again. So again, there was no balance. And I remember when, when I first met Charlie, um, he had asked me, you know, we had a question about, about balance. And I was like, oh, no, I don't believe in it. Now you can look behind me and there's a sign that says inhale, exhale. And I think that is a, an example of where I'm at now. And I'm a firm believer that balance is necessary if you're going to sustain. And I think that that is what our students need to see in here and as leaders we need to be able to display that because if we only show them one side they're going to think they can't rest they're going to think they can't take breaks they're going to think that their effort you know is not enough um and that's something that i no longer want to be a role model for burnout and that's what i was i succeeded a lot but i burnt out and i was only 28 and i was like there's no way that this can be the end of it my purpose depends on me taking a step back so I don't even think that was your question, but that's where my heart led. <laughs> no, that's perfect, Dries. Um, <laughs> there are actually a couple of things I want to touch on because that story, there's just so much packed into this. And I know, you know, we could talk forever about these amazing, you know, things that you're bringing to the students that you're pulling from your own experiences and your own passions and really how you transfer that to them. So that's something I want to touch on. But you also mentioned that, you know, EDI Cares had a rebranding. And, you know, for those of us who are listening and maybe don't know about that rebranding, I wanted to, you know, ask about the inspiration behind that, what it stands for, and really the meaning behind the new name. Yeah, awesome. That's a that's a great question, Nikki. So through the last year, um, and I would say, again, with the guidance of our, our fearless leaders, um, starting with our, our Vice President, Charlie Parker, um, and then also Don Reed, who have just been the pioneers of this. Uh, we believe in getting in the plane, going and building it while we're up there. And that's kind of where, where EDI Cares is came from. Like I said, when I first started, we were trio and then we had Aspire, but I don't, we didn't really have a, a name. People just kind of knew us by grants and they knew specific faces. And we knew that if we were going to do the work that our students deserve to have, build the resources, create the space that are most marginalized. Um, And we're also in rebranding that, like our most capable students, really changing the narrative on what does it look like to serve? Um, That's when I say at risk. What are these students at risk of, right? They're at risk of still walking through this world and being misunderstood, which impacts their confidence, Mm. which impacts their self-efficacy, you know, in the way they see themselves. And so it's our job to be able to help cultivate a brand new mindset you know, a brand new outlook on who they are. And so EDI Cares is that. 
right? We care about you. We care about you where you're at. We care about where you're going. We care about where you've been. We care about the whole student. Um, so EDI obviously stands for equity, diversity, and inclusion. You have college access, retention, engagement services. And so that's our, our um, you know, our, our professional name, but our street name is Wakanda. So if we're going to talk plain talk, let's, let's, it's Wakanda over let's here. Let's talk about Wakanda. <laughs> let's talk about Wakanda. Yeah. Right? So it's a reference. <laughs> it's a reference to uh, the the Black Panther movie, um, and in that movie, there are some very powerful archetypes. Uh, and I'm and I'm curious, you know, uh, where the Wakanda brand came from, and how the folks in in the EDI Cares department represent and carry out some of that power in the work that's being done. You know, I wish I could remember the specific date, time, and place that it was. And I'm sure if all of our Zoom Zooms were recorded, I would be able to. Um, but it's just something organic. We're pro-organic. Organic in our relationships with our students, what we're doing. It has to meet. It has to work. And I think it just organically popped up like this is Wakanda. Because when you think about the movie, you think about Black excellence. Right. And again, that's a mm -hmm. part of changing the narrative is, yes, it was an imaginary space. But within that space, it's a it's a beautiful place. Right. Where if we can provide that space on campus for our students, for them to be seen, heard, loved, unapologetically be themselves. Right. Have accountability partners. That's what what happened in that space. And so um, it kind of just happened. And I'll probably I'll give the, the credit to Don for allowing that to be who we are and allow us to kind of get outside of that professional box that says, this is who we are, this is what we do. Um, more so just like, come as yourself. You know, where some churches right. might say, be who you are, come as you are, but only if you don't do X, Y, Z. Like, no, we're really about that life. And I think that if- Respect the queen mother. Exactly, <laughs> right? If you're really right. going to say you want to create a space for students, for them to be themselves, but also ex display their level of excellence, black, brown, whatever it may be, that's where it gets cultivated within the EDI cares department. Who do we serve? We serve students who, who are just, who need us in period. Do we have grants that are specific to things and programs that are specific? Absolutely. But we're here for the student. And we believe that retention is the college's job um, as a whole. And we want to make sure that we're there to support the students who, um, I don't believe in cracks. I, I don't think students fall through cracks. You ever seen a person fall through a crack? No, they fall through gaps. And there, that means there's right. gaps within the system. And so our job is to, right. you know, recognize those gaps, see where the gaps are, dismantle them, um, and then also create healing spaces. So that's kind of where, you know, EDI Cares was developed out of, was developed out of our students need. What do they need? They need a space. They need a space to call home. They need a space to be seen, heard, um, to, to, to have a, a voice for now and for the future. And that's where a lot of our programming um, is developed out of also it's student led. We're thinking about the student first. So there's a real authentic and organic approach to, um, to what we do within Wakanda. And so that, that, that makes me think about, um, you know, the idea of being student led. I instantly think about the empowerment summit. Um, that you guys hosted in February. And um, and um, can you talk a little bit about that summit? Um, were you hoping to use the um, the momentum of Black History Month as a, as a catalyst for that? Um, what were some of the goals of the department in that way? Yeah, I mean, the whole year there's been momentum. Like just the year in general, like it's almost right, the new 
uh, awakening, right? You have this second round of what some people are saying that that new Jim, the Jim Crow 2.0, like, why are we still dealing with all this same stuff, which is, is, is all, all true facts. Um, but I think mm-hmm. for, for us, we, again, sticking to who we are and what we're doing, we wanted to create a space for students, period, for them to be seen, heard, and empowered. Why? Because number one, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Nobody's an expert of getting through a pandemic. It just is what it is. So we, number one, didn't want to show up and act as if we know how to do this. No, we just wanted to show up and serve them. We wanted to show up and fill them up to empower them, to give them something to be like, okay, this is why I started school in the first place. This is why I'm still in school, right? And because there's there's so few, I think, good, hopeful, fruitful things that are just out there that we wanted to make sure that we were providing that for our students. So to be able to create um, a two-day event that was um, created out of overflow. We worked hard, um, uh, Joey, um, Dr. Sierra Graham, everybody else on the on the EDI team, like we worked hard to be able to pull off a an event, an event that would not just be, yay, we did this and check a box. We don't do check boxes. We do, did we hit the mark when it comes to a student? Were we able to impact a life in a positive way? And that's when I say student-led, we think about students before we do anything. How is this going to land with them? Where are they at? What do they need? Not how does Reese get fed by this specific opportunity? That's not what it's about. And that's, again, why I talk about that organic, authentic space is allowing students to lead what we do. And so um, where there's momentum, then you can create more momentum. And so because our students saw, oh, wow, there's an organization on campus, like right now in a, a remote way that allows, that promotes Black excellence, that's playing some dope music, that's bringing in guest speakers, that's doing giveaways. Oh, that's legit. Because when you think about it, a lot of um, students, when they come to a community college, they might think they're missing out on that college experience. And so what we're trying to do, too, is give them that college, whatever that college experience is that, that you might feel like you missed out on, whether you are 50 years old and you just came back, whether you're a 35-year-old single mom, it doesn't matter, or you're a running start student. We want you to feel seen within what it is that we're doing, whether you be black, brown, you know, white, low income, it doesn't it doesn't matter. And that's really, um, you know, part of our mission when it came to the Empowerment Summit is to empower students to continue on to protect their joy and be brave. And in spirit of, you know, creating more momentum, which all of the events and the projects that you guys have going on is doing an amazing job already. If there are any, you know, any listeners right now who maybe are not as familiar with EDI Cares, what advice would you give them in terms of how to reach out, where to go to get more information, um, you know, just next steps if they're interested in this, which I'm sure they are. Yeah, so we have a... um you can go onto the website and then tap into the about us. There's the EDI cares website that has links to every other program that we have. You can look under student supports and um, there's the trio link. There's the aspire link. Um, we, you can search for us on YouTube. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. We are trying to be where the students are. And so that's the main way. We also will pop up on some canvas banners. Shout out to Tony for uh, helping us out with the scheduling on that. Um, we are also embedded in the um, college success. We're trying to do more work with getting into other courses, um, especially again, this remote environment, because you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what's not there or what's there if you don't know what's there. And so right now we're trying to tap into every resource that we can that allows students to know, oh, 
there's a space that's there for me that's going to essentially be the village. That's all we are. We're a village. And within a village, we believe that it takes the village in order to help anybody succeed um, and live to their level of excellence. And so the best way for them to get in contact is go on the Pierce website, search for EDI, search for EDI Cares, Trio, Aspire, um, and you will find all of our contact on there. And just, again, encouraging all students to continue on this journey, um, regardless of what that looks like. Um, it's going, academics wasn't built for us. Um, and when I say us, I mean black and brown students. It wasn't built for us to succeed. Um, it wasn't built for us to thrive. And I would say that's why, again, the EDI Cares Department exists and why we're so passionate is because to help students navigate a system that wasn't built for them to thrive. Now you have people within our department that are literally here to give them the keys and the gym to figure out, okay, this is how you navigate these systems um, and then empower them again once they're going through tough times, once they're going through um, things within the, the academic realm that may um, may present as a barrier. Our job is to make sure that we're, we're helping them navigate those barriers and then moving any barriers out of their way. Um, I myself as a doctoral student are going through some of the same exact stuff. So it doesn't go anywhere. The higher you get up, the more they don't want you to succeed. And so um, that's where, you know, my passions come from is if I can equip another student with the skills, with the strength, with the tools, the confidence, that um, that stick to itness, that hard work and rest, you know, mentality and balance, um, then that's that's what I really want to do. So thank you guys for for having me on. I appreciate it. That's dope. And so, you know, I think I want to speak for on behalf of everyone listening to the podcast. Your spirit is just brilliant. You just shine um, effortlessly in the in the way that you think um, and the mission and things that that, you know, you hope to to the impact that you hope to leave. And, and we just appreciate you for coming on, spending some of your day with us fresh off of vacation. You're still looking chocolatey. You're always chocolate, but you love extra chocolate. If that's a if the, right on the wrapper, it says extra chocolate. That's where you came back from. Um, so yeah, um, thank you for your time, and um, hopefully we can do this again. Of course, and I I've got to say I can just feel the the passion flowing from you this entire time, and so I know listeners are going to get that too. But that's just such an important aspect in terms of, you know, what you're doing, coaching students and helping them through times and using your own experiences and your own passions to really motivate them to continue, even if they think that they can't. So you're such an amazing example of, you know, being able to reach so many goals and, and, and just be so successful. And so I'm really happy that we got to have this interview with you and, you know, thank you for, for coming on right after your vacation, just like Tony said. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I see there, you know, there's another question. I'll be, um, I think, quick because I feel like it's important. Um, there's a there's a term called self-efficacy. And one of the tenets in self-efficacy is vicarious experience. Um, and I'm really passionate about vicarious experience simply because when somebody sees somebody else who kind of looks like them a little bit, has similar experiences, it enables them to believe, okay, I should be able to do this. And so I speak on the fact that I've been at a community college level. Yes, I'm not getting my doctorate, but I started here. I'm first gen on part of my side. I call myself hood hybrid. My dad was from the hood. My mom wasn't. So I kind of get and understand, you know, what it's like the, living the life as a student athlete, a professional student athlete. Um, I feel like I have a lot of different experiences of 
going through things similar that our students do. And I understand that you're not juggling because who wants to juggle the her, their whole life, but figuring out how to manage it. And so um, when I, because I felt unprepared and I was able to teach myself, I then created curriculum around how do you, as a student, how do I break down a syllabus? How do I manage my time? What tools do I use? How do I use all of this going um, forward that's not just gonna help me as being a student, but now I use these in my professional life, you know, with my time management, with being a, um, a doctoral student, working full time, having a coaching business, um, being a real estate investor, having many mentees, all these different things. I need to be able to um, I, I live off of the same practices I did when I was training myself to be a professional student athlete. And I bring that into every student session, regardless of whether the student, the student is a student athlete or not, because I believe the practices, um, principles and the habits are the same. So I believe when you have your habits of excellence, um, in line, it really allows you to lead the life that you want to live, which allows you to leave the legacy that you want to live as well. Right. You know, I've got to say I'm pretty speechless after that one, Reese. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> <laughs> awesome well thank you guys for having me i love what you guys do um keep at it um i'm sorry i know we're, we're probably short on time but i wanted to say the vicarious experience is really what drove all of the black history month like that was it, it it's that's what drove it students to be able to see black excellence then be able to hear black excellence to see young millennials who look like them, who are doing things in multiple different realms, people who went off and got, you know, education degrees in different realms, but then went to become entrepreneurs um, who were just living their best life. And too often that's not seen, you know, by our students. What does it look like to live your best life in real life, um, tangible black excellence? And that was really the inspiration behind the entire month is what does that look like? How do I obtain it? Um, so that way they can, they can live out their, their best life as well. Black History Month lights a fire in me in ways other months don't, besides my birthday month. Although I can research this information at any given time, I always look up a Black inventor or inspirational figure each day of the month. Black History Month for me never lets me forget how proud I am to be a Black man and how much work we have done to get this far in such a short time period given the fact our ancestors were set up to fail from the beginning coming to North America. For me, Black History Month allows open conversation to keep flowing. I enjoy connecting with other Black Americans and speaking on the past, present, and hopeful future. When a major negative event happens and it seems we have taken steps back, it's heartwarming to see other races stand in unity with the Black community to try to help with some of the pain we take on in this modern-day America. I do enjoy watching us evolve and take on roles we never thought were possible. Just goes to show the possibilities that keep opening up for us Blacks in North America. I am a Black man. I build, I don't destroy. I have felt pain of being torn down, being a ploy. I have decided deliberately to build myself with others and for 28 days we speak on Black sisters and brothers. Learn black history, the rise with all challenge. All too often we're overlooked with no historical balance. Instead of breaking each other down with lazy malice, we'll educate while shooting for strength, power, and range like Ray Allen. With black history around, I do something positive. I learn to memorize about my ancestry. I make it cognitive and then teach some others to do the same. I make it moderate. So let's build our black history back up. It's our prerogative.
What? About... You want to read Black Heroes? Yeah. Okay. I really like this book. I know. I love it too. Which reminds me. Who have we learned about Black history? Maya, help her out. What does she do? Is she a conductor? What kind of conductor? Underground Railroad. The Underground Railroad. What's her superpower? Do you remember? Thinking. Thinking. That's right. Because you got to have a lot of you have had a lot of smarts to be a conductor of a, of a railroad, right? Mm -hmm. Especially an Underground Railroad. Do you think she was scared? Yeah, I think she was scared too. Daddy. How about you, Ma? You think she was scared? But she did it anyway, huh? Peach, what do we call doing something even though we're scared? Uh, courage. Courage. Daddy. Is that a superpower? Yes. How do, how do you think your, your junior high and high school experience would have differed? Um, had you had access to and been able to think of about in terms of um, racial equality and civil rights uh, and a lot of those leaders, those civil rights leaders in high school as opposed to um, higher education. Like if you had, if you had those things, I guess my, 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 what I'm asking is, did Black History Month mean anything to you in junior high and high school? Why or why not? Yeah, and I was I was blessed. My my family is the major teachers in my life as well. So they were able to provide so much more context or history that may I may not have been able to read in a book. You know, to be blessed um with my grandmother Martha Rose that I lost this last November. Um she was from Montgomery, Alabama. Um she was a little girl who participated in the Montgomery bus riots, you know, when they were, when they were protesting for equality, you know, for where they could sit, you know, they were, that's when black folks had to, you know, default to sitting on the back of the bus and they just said, we've had enough. And so for me to have that connection to that kind of history, you know, that those, I, I was able to spend those days sitting at my grandmother's side and her sharing those kind of stories with me of what she went through and, and how she overcame and, and during those times, you know, in the 50s and 60s, she still pursued her education and, and graduated from Alabama State, you know, and or to have my my dad spend time at Tuskegee University. And, and for those of you who know your history about the Tuskegee experiments and, you know, just HBCUs and all of that, just so I my family kept me grounded and well rehearsed, I guess, in in the history that wasn't necessarily taught in the classroom. And so I'm I'm very fortunate for that. And and to be able to dive into that further as I got older, you know, is is also fun to, you know, really learn more about myself, you know, as an African American, because, you know, so much of our history has been torn from us, has been destroyed. And that's one of our our major struggles as well is just really knowing who we are, where we came from, because, 
a lot of that is just lost in translation, right? Right. Yeah, it's it's such a blessing to be able to have access to folks who were uh, living and be able to have like a conscious memory of what was going on, to what it felt like to be disenfranchised during the civil rights era. Um, I remember uh, my mom telling me a story about the first time her mom took her to the movie theater. Um, and she would tell me like, yeah, I was so caught up in being in the facility that she barely even watched the movie, right? Like she couldn't believe. And even though they were segregated, they had this little, you know, partitioned off area for black folks to sit in. She was in awe. She was awestruck of just having access to the facility. Um, And she would talk about how her mom got her this little five cent box of popcorn. um, And it didn't occur to her until I was an adult have these conversations with me. And then she started going back and talking, thinking about it in terms of like how messed up it was, like the how second class it is. And it's dubious because we'll still take your money, but we're going to treat you like, like the, that money is, is first class, but we're still going to treat you like second class. And the idea of like, just to be um, human, you have to go through the back door, right? Just to experience a movie, I've got to go through this back door. I've got to do this extra thing um, that is kind of, and she had no idea, right? So she didn't even know how to conceptualize it. Like it was just life for her. And it wasn't until later on where she started to really understand like, man, but those weren't conversations that she was having with me when I was in junior high and high school. It wasn't until I was an adult and then asking her about that. So some of this stuff <clears throat> for me is not, it's just not salient. Like there wasn't a, a format to have these types of conversations. Joe, I, I feel like you're really blessed in that way because Black History Month when I was growing up really didn't mean a whole lot because I wasn't able to use that to make make my circumstances better. Does that make sense? Like, like Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. So, so, so if I can't, if I can't actualize or apply any of this stuff to improve my circumstances as a junior high or high school student, then who, I'm, you know, I'm 16, 17 years old. <laughs> who, who cares? Other than the fact that you're telling me, you know, these, these extraordinary characters in life are the ones that are highlighted. So there's also the idea that like, unless you're, unless you're Michael Jordan or unless you're Martin Luther King, Right. Or unless you're an astrophysicist, unless you are extraordinary as a black person, then your story, your narrative. Doesn't really count. And that's kind of some of the stuff that I took personally from from, you know, Black History Month growing up. And it and it gives like, you know, it it's crazy, like the way my life has been meshed together and what has been intentionally done to try and give me a chance, like what my parents did, like my parents had to be strategic in what they named me because they wanted to make sure that 
when I fill out a job application, it's not thrown out just because of the way that someone reads my name or anything like that. And so to have to go through that great detail in order to ensure that, you know, I had the best chance at things like that's that's things that I'm still getting a grasp of. And, you know, things that my parents didn't tell me till later, because I'm like, why couldn't I have a cool name like that? And it's like, boy, you don't even understand. Like, you should be proud of that name. Like, this is why we did this for you. And, and but it just speaks to that larger issue of why, why we even have to do that or why we even growing up as a kid, you know, my dad telling me, hey, you need to be mindful that you're going to have to work, you know, a hundred times harder than the next person just to be noticed as even an equal, you know, type deal. And that, and as a kid, I didn't understand what that meant until I started navigating more and more and, and, you know, being military, I'm moving all over the place. So I'm living in Kentucky, Ohio, Georgia, over in Europe. And I'm having more of these conversations with my dad of him reminding me of being mindful of who I am in these spaces and recognizing because when you see me at face value, you know, I'm a light skinned guy, but you look at me and throughout my whole life, people assume, oh, you, your dad must be black. Your mom must be white, but. Lightly melanated, hella black. Or son, the light on, but it, but the, the thing is, is both my parents are black. I just happen to be on the lighter side, but you know. Light skinned black, baby. But yeah, and, but perception, you know, it, you, you never judge a book by its cover. You know, I've, I've. We we come in all different shapes, colors, and sizes, and we all bring value to the table. Um, and you know, with with this, you know, Black History Month, uh, I'm in the notion of every month is Black History Month, and I think that's that's a huge awareness that's coming across. Is our history is not limited to just month one month. Uh, it it this is 365 days a year. Uh, you know, there's no changing this. I'm black every day. You know, my struggle doesn't change just because I'm outside of the month of February, right? But um, mm-hmm. it, it's an amazing time to capitalize to, you know, continue to bring awareness. And I appreciate Pierce College, you know, for understanding the importance of that and continuing to find ways to, you know, hone in on that and bring that awareness, um, you know, through all of it. And, you know, Pierce has, has been recognized on a national level for, the efforts they have taken to address these types of issues, you know, of um, closing equity gaps. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of that work. Um, and I take it very seriously. Like I said, it's a passion of mine. It's my life. I see these kids and I see myself in these kids. And I, and so I relate to a lot of the struggles and adversities that they may encounter. And if I can plant any kind of gems or seeds in there that might help them along the way, you know, the, that could have helped me when I was navigating, you know, then I'm, that's what I'm here for. And I love, you know, um, establishing those connections with students and my peers, like, you know, with Tony or Nikki or whoever it is out there. Like, I just, I, I love that aspect of it. That's what I love about being here at Pierce and in the educational realm is to be able to impact lives at that level. Which kind of brings us back to your celebrity status at the, the summit. Not even close. Not even close. You know, what what were some of your your key takeaways from the summit or what did you really want to bring across to the students and the other members of the community who are involved in that? Like I said, mine has always been um, promoting a message of um, what I coined, you know, to a branding of of one of my uh, close friends, um, 
and family, one love and everyone and everything. And that's just, you know, approaching it with that mentality. And it starts with self. Like we are responsible for what we put out in the universe. I'm, I'm a big believer in that. It's just like, if you're putting, if you're speaking negativity, then that's what you're going to see. That's what's going to engulf you. If you speak positivity, you speak love, it doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect, but at least that's what you're surrounding yourself around and that's what you're going to attract. And so that's really what my message was, was just empowering um, self, um, letting them know again that that love, a love is is a taboo word sometimes, you know, especially within um, the community of us men of color, you know, it, it, it's, it's something taboo. Not you don't, you don't see too many men just, Hey man, I love you. But Tony knows like I, in a text message or I call it, Hey man, I love you. Be safe out there. And that's because of just understanding, you know, what we're up against day in and day out. And you may not hear that, you know, you may not have the luxury of hearing someone say, Hey, I love you. I care about you making sure you're okay or whatever the case may be. And so that's the kind of elements that I always want to bring into those spaces. Definitely. And those elements, Joey, your outlook on life, being positive and caring about those you love are aspects that I hope we're all able to remember and incorporate into our own lives. So thank you for that. And thank you in general, along with Tony, for being such fantastic co-hosts. Thank you to Coach Reese for such an inspiring interview. Thank you to the community voices we were able to hear from on this episode, including our very own Peaches. Shout out to Peaches, one of Tony's baby girls. And another special thank you to Renard Washington at Pierce College Puyallup, who composed the amazing music that you hear in our podcast episodes. And finally, a thank you to the marketing and communications team, as well as to our listeners. We hope you guys enjoy the content and we really love to hear your feedback and ideas. So with that... We will see you all on the next episode.